Welcome to Bitch Talk. I'm your host, Erin, here with my co-host, Ange, a.k.a. Captain Party. And over the last 10 years, we've been elevating marginalized voices through interviews and events. Sometimes over a glass of whiskey. But if you're thirsty for more bitches, find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. A big thank you to 48 Hills and our listeners for voting us Best of the Bay Best Podcast in 2022. And now, on with the show. We are sitting here at the Asian Art Museum to talk all things American-born Chinese. Excited to bring you today our graphic novelist and executive producer, Jean Wen Yang, and one of the stars of the show, Daniel Wu. Thank you for sitting down with Bitch Talk today. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Thank you for having us. Super excited. We're going to start with you, Jean. Can you introduce our audience to American-born Chinese? American-born Chinese is a graphic novel that was published in 2006, uh, and I actually started working on it in 2000 when I was a much younger man. And it has three different storylines. The first one is about the Monkey King, who's this old, old Chinese legendary figure. The second one is about Jin Wang, who's a young Chinese-American man growing up in a, uh, a predominantly white neighborhood, loosely based on my own life. And uh, the last one is probably the most controversial storyline. It stars a cousin character who's kind of the embodiment of all of the negative Asian and Asian American stereotypes that I grew up with. Um, we were lucky enough to see this at South by Southwest, and oh, cool. we saw the line. We the people were excited. Um, y'all seemed very excited. I want to know what that feeling was like to be in Austin and premiere American Born Chinese. That was an awesome experience because that was the first time I'd seen it, and so to be able to see it with a live audience was amazing. Um, because you know, in television these days, like you don't often get to see screenings with a live audience, right? And so it's a huge difference to see what they resonated with. Uh, where they thought was funny and things that, you know, especially like the Freddie Wong character, it was interesting yeah. that nobody laughed in those scenes, right? Because they knew that, you know, it was problematic. Those issues were problematic. And so it was really cool to have that experience and having worked on it like a year before and then not knowing what people were going to, how people were going to react to get that audience reaction, which was a really great one, was really inspiring. And it just felt like a really proud moment that we'd done it and we, you know, succeeded in this mm-hmm. thing, you know, mm-hmm. it was proof. The energy was incredible. I mean, uh, Kelvin and I, Kelvin the showrunner and I, uh, were talking about it afterwards, and we talked about how the, like Daniel said, the uh, audience reactions were all kind of on point. It was all kind of what we were aiming at. So that was incredibly gratifying to hear. It was an excellent happy hour afterwards as well. So thank you. Uh, we were well fed. Um, awesome. But something happened at that Q&A afterwards that really stuck with me. Um, ben, who plays Jin, um, he was talking about how he's been asked by people, oh, do you think kids are going to be able to relate to your character? And he said, without hesitation, yes, because I grew up my whole life having to relate to characters that were not like me. Yeah, and that, right. that hit really deep. Mm. Um, and, and I wanted to know from both of your perspectives as people that have grown up in this industry and you're also part of this, this change in the tides, hopefully, what does that statement mean to you? I mean, it resonates with me. Mm. I think one of the reasons why I gravitated towards superhero comics when I was a kid was because that was the closest thing that I could find to my own experience. You know, most superheroes, they are living in between worlds. Like Superman, he is both Superman and Clark Kent. And his story is all about having to shift from one world and one way of being to the other. And that feels like being a Chinese-American, right? It feels like, um, you know, when I was a kid and I would go from school to home, I would actually be shifting from one way of being to the other. Uh, so nowadays, um, 
I don't have to necessarily turn to superheroes who vaguely resemble me. I can I, I can actually find stories about people who actually look like me on the screen, and it's just it's such a tremendous change. Mm. I think the the uh, the progress that we've made in the last few years, I don't think I could have imagined when I was younger, when I was in my twenties. It's been really incredible to see. Yeah, I think for me, I was just surprised about how deeply personal this project was to me, because having been in the business for 25 years, most of my career being in Asia, and then a little bit of it being here now, um, I'd never worked on a project that was so specifically Asian American, you know. Um, and that's from story to the details in the story to the cast to the people working behind the scenes. Um, so it was this incredibly special uh, moment to be part of that and to see that, especially since you know growing up in America from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and seeing no representation or awful representation, um, and then going to Asia and then not having to think about that at all. You know, I'm doing roles that are based on my ability to play the role, not because I'm you know, filling in this Chinese role that needs to be played or an Asian role that needs to be played. And then coming back here and then having to rethink about that again and going, okay, what does it mean now to be an Asian-American actor in this time now? And then getting to work on a project like this where we're really pushing the boundaries, right? And we're, we're pushing Asian-American storytelling. But at the same time, telling a very universal story that I think everybody felt awkward and weird in high school, you know? And, and it's not just an Asian-American thing. That's the extra baggage that we had to deal with, right? But I think what's relatable about this story is that everyone felt that way in high school and everyone had to find their way and find their identity. And even though maybe not as culturally specific as this show, people went through the similar kind of process. And I think that's the universal side of the story. And so what Ben said, I think, is very poignant in that now our cultural stories can be part of this bigger American yeah. fabric picture, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing about, about this project and why I thought it was so special to be able to work on it. Yeah, yeah I, I think right now uh, we're at a moment when people are finally realizing that the Asian American story has something to say to everybody, mm-hmm. not, just, not just our community. And I think Ben also said before that, like, after reading the book, he said he felt seen, you know, mm-hmm. after growing up in Minnesota. I was, like, one of the only Chinese kids in the, in, the, in the neighborhood. I was lucky enough to be born in the Bay Area, so I didn't experience that. But um, I think this show is going to help other kids that are out there in, in you know, middle of the middle of the country and places like that feel seen and feel like that their story is valid, you know. That's a great segue, Daniel. Speaking of the Bay, <laughs> you both are Bay Area born and raised. Yes. Um, what was the feeling, I'll, I'll start with you, um, to, to have someone from the Bay be a lead actor in the show, and then for you, the writer of this script, of this book, be from the Bay? Oh, it's incredible. When <laughs> I found out that, uh, that Daniel grew up in the East Bay, you know, and I, I spent most of my young adult life in the East Bay, like from college on, uh, it was incredible. And, and also, I think that uh, Daniel's career is symbolic of our progress as Asian Americans. You know, the fact that he uh, kind of had to make a name for himself overseas because there just wasn't a place for somebody like him in American Hollywood. And, and now mm. for him to come back and, and find that place, I think, is really, really incredible. Yeah, I think the Bay is a very special place in that I, I grew up in Orinda, so there, there, you know, it wasn't very diverse. But then right across the hill, you know, we're in Oakland Chinatown, we're in San Francisco Chinatown, like every weekend we were there. So I had a constant connection to my culture, so I never was ashamed of it, 
even though I was a minority in elementary school, there were three Asian kids in my class and we were kind of like the cool kids, right? So it was, it was totally fine. And it was a very special environment to be able to be connected to your culture and be proud of it. Um, that, and that gave me the confidence to be who I am now. And then, and then going to Hong Kong and then getting, you know, that reinforced even more. Um, because then no longer was I even had to think about race anymore, right? I'm getting, I'm doing all this work and doing, and, and Hong Kong people giving me the, the idea that like, you can do this. This is something you can do. Like I didn't ever start out thinking that I could be an actor. That was just not in the vocabulary of, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties being Asian American, but I didn't feel like an out total outsider. Like, and so once I went to Hong Kong and they embraced me and brought me into that culture and realized that, oh, I can be an actor, I can be in this business, I can do it, it gave me a tremendous amount of confidence so that when I came back here, there was no, like, I wasn't worried about any of that, you know, at all. And it gave me a tremendous amount of confidence that I think started here in the Bay Area and then was reinforced when I was in Hong Kong. Not sure if you understand what I'm saying, but yeah, yeah. No, that made, yeah, that made perfect sense. And that's a huge thorough line in the show, uh, specifically with Ki Hui Kwan's character's yeah. representation, yeah. undoing stereotypes, and also, um, you know, showing that we're more than one-dimensional characters. Yeah, I wouldn't have made it in this business if I had to start doing stuff like that in the beginning. You know, I don't mm -hmm. think so. And so that was the, the, the key of being able to go to Hong Kong, is that I didn't have to go through that kind of riffraff of, mm. of bad Asian portrayals, you know? Yeah, you're like, are you guys ready for me now? Okay, I'll come yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I'm curious, Gene, when this was becoming, um, when this was becoming a show, were there things that were specific to your identity as an Asian American that you were like, this has to stay in the show you fought for in terms of representation? Mm. And uh, if you want to follow up Daniel with, parts of your character that you were kind of proud to show that maybe aren't shown often with mm. characters. Mm. I, I don't know if there's anything I actually had to fight for because of the team that was mm. put around the show, right? The, the the show kind of began with me meeting Melvin Marr, who's one of the producers. He also produced Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, so he had a lot of cred, like Asian-American cred behind his name. And then he was the one that introduced me to Kelvin Yu. So Kelvin Yu, he cut his teeth on uh, Bob's Burgers, so he really got humor down. Uh, and not just humor, but like family-based humor. That's sort of the, the heart of his writing, I would say. Uh, and he's also an actor. So he has experience both in front of and behind the camera. He played Aziz Ansari's best friend on uh, Master, Master of None. Mm, yes. yeah. That's right. And, and, I, and I think uh, like from the very beginning, from our very first conversation, I got that both Melvin and Kelvin understood what this project needed to be. Uh, and they were also pulling from their own lives. Uh, so, for example, Key's, Key's uh, whole character arc, like the character arc of his character, Freddie Wong, on the show, really is pulled from uh, Kelvin Yu's own experience as an Asian American in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Like the, the speech that he gives in episode seven, which I think is one of the most powerful parts mm -hmm. of the whole show, that is both Key's experience and Kelvin's experience. Mm. Um, sorry, what was the question again? I was there with some humor. I know, it was a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> it was riveting. Now, uh, for you to play this character, were there certain aspects of playing the Monkey King that you kind of wanted to bring out that maybe haven't been shown before? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, well, I think this Monkey King is very different than what people are used to from Journey to the West, right? Journey to the West, he's like young, and he's a rambunctious, rebellious, young monkey, right? And, and it almost represents, you know, childhood. 
right, in general. And then you eventually mature and become this thing. And then, and then where we pick up here in American Born Chinese is he's gone through that journey already. And he's at a different stage in life. He's a father now. And he's got responsibilities. He's got to take care of this war in heaven. But then he's got his son acting like him. And so this whole new take mm -hmm. on this character um, was kind of interesting to me. It was because I've been asked to play Monkey King before when I was in Hong Kong and Asia. And I just didn't want to do it because I'd seen so many versions of Journey to the West that I just nothing else I could bring to the table. But this version was like, oh, this is like an evolved Monkey King, right? <laughs> like, and it's like you, it's almost if you pose the question, what if he was older and it was a father? How would we act, right? And what it allowed me to do was like delve back into my own personal history of how my father treated me. And like, in general, for me, it was like, you know, I was scared of my dad and like he was really strict and stern and blah, blah, blah. But as a father now and an adult now, like now I appreciate that tough love, right, that he gave me. Because if he didn't treat me that way when I was younger, um, I wouldn't have the discipline I have now and I wouldn't have the success I have now. And I think I'm clearly, it's clearly that my dad instilled that upon me when I was a younger kid through fear, through shame, through all kinds of <laughs> negative reinforcement, whatever. <laughs> but, but I appreciate it now. I honestly appreciate it. And so that kind of really informed me how to play this older uh, monkey king and how he was going to deal with his son. Because in the beginning, he's like this very stern, strict, and we're kind of like, wait, that's not how Monkey King normally is, but it's like, oh, he's evolved now, and now he's dealing with a son who's acting in the exact same way. He doesn't like it because it's almost a reflection of himself, right? And so it's a kind of a self-loathing thing, but at the same time, he's got to let this kid do this thing. And I think Guan Yin lets him realize that. It's like, you got to let him realize his own journey in, in order for him to mature in life, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think I went through that same phase with my father, like going away to college allowed me to go have my own space to do what I was going to do. And then going into the film business, which he definitely did not like, <laughs> right? But then proving to him that I could be successful in it and, and come back to him and let him finally be proud of me. Like that whole journey of my, my upbringing was difficult, right? Because like, all I wanted to do was impress my parents at some point, but also wanted to find my own, forge my own path. And I think that's the main theme in this story with the relationship between Wei Chen and, and Monkey King is that he's got to let go and let this kid forge his own path because that's what he did in his own journey, right? So you gotta, you gotta learn to find the balance between you know, being strict but also letting them discover themselves. That could be a whole other conversation about parents, but I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah, go there. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we all have stories. Um, let's talk about casting and timing for the show. Um, I wanna know for Daniel when you got the script, when did that happen and when uh, was production kind of coming together, mm. and then, you know, Kihi Kwan, Michelle yeah. Yeoh, and mm. Stephanie Chu, come on, like, how did this all happen? And then, as things were happening in the world and pop culture, award season, were you just like, not, like, was your head like being blown every time you're yes. hearing everything? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it was a perfect storm, I would say. It um, really was. But I would say the eye of that storm is Melvin Marr, yeah. right? Because yeah. he's the one that really got everyone, um, on board, like he put the pieces together. He called me and goes, I want to play Monkey King. I didn't even know what he was talking about. I was like, what? Okay. And he goes, it's American born Chinese. Like, oh yeah, I remember reading that graphic novel. I'm like, okay, how are you going to adapt it? And he's like, I got Michelle on board at blah, blah, blah. And it was like all these really attractive things that he was telling me about. I'm like, okay, all right, let's do this then. And then once I read the script, um, I was, because I was very interested to see what the adaptation was going to be mm -hmm. like, because Gene's book is incredible, but right. the three storylines are almost separate. Yes. And I was like, you know, at the end when, in the book, when uh, uh, the character turns white, I was like, how are we going to do this, yeah, right? Yeah. And then I realized, like, the adaptation is going to be completely different. And when I read it, I was like, oh, wow, this is, like, so much more detailed and, and 
I understood what they were trying to do uh, with getting the message on the screen. I was like, okay. And then Michelle, and then Key, and then all the stuff just started to fall into place. Destin, you know, mm -hmm. all that. And I was like, this is like a total Avengers project or, or Voltron, right? We're getting the best of the best and putting together in this one moment. And then the everything everywhere thing, that was, I mean, that hadn't even come out yet when no, we started shooting. So I think it came out the week after we started shooting, yeah, right? And then like that. that momentum started to build up. So it was just like all these amazing things just falling into place at the right time. And then this show being released right now on Disney Plus, I think is also another key thing because it's like, Five years ago, that wouldn't have happened. Nope. Ten years ago, that wouldn't have happened, nope. right? So it's just this perfect storm of things that just fell into place, you know, by fate, really. Yeah, yeah. That really was what it felt like. Uh, I remember first hearing from Melvin that uh, Dustin Cretton had signed on to do the pilot. And I was like, come on. And this was before, <laughs> before uh, Shang-Chi had been released. And then Shang-Chi was released. I don't know if you remember this, but right before it was released, people were predicting it to be this massive failure because it was in the middle of pandemic, um, there was also some questions online about whether people would come out to watch a, uh, a Marvel movie that starred an Asian American lead, right? Mm -hmm. And then it was this huge success, and I thought for sure Dustin would be out. But he was not. He was not, <laughs> right? Not only was he not out, he brought Michelle on board, which kind of led to all the dominoes falling. Yeah, yeah. So it's like all those things falling into place that yeah. created this. So yeah. it cool. It's been really a, a, an incredible experience. Yeah, well, not only the acting, the stars, but the music. I just want to tap into that really mm, quickly yeah. because every episode ends with an incredible song. But not only that, there's a karaoke scene. Yeah. Uh, Jin's dad loves a specific band. I don't want to give away too many things. But <laughs> how, can you talk about creating the music and the sound for this film and or for the show? And also, do you both have a karaoke song, a go-to karaoke song? Yes, I do. But, uh, you do? You <laughs> yes, do? I do. Uh, <laughs> But Wendy, Wendy Wong yes. was amazing. She put the music together. Um, you know, the, like the music, I think, really adds so much to the story because, like, you know, there's moments in the high school stuff where it sounds like really 80s John Hughesy, and that just brings me right into Breakfast Club. Like, that was one of my favorite movies growing up, right? And then the Asian stuff, like, and then the fight music and all that stuff, it's all different but it's all cohesive and fits together in some weird way that is very Asian-American, right? Mm -hmm. Or very American-born Chinese. Mm -hmm. And she does just like a genius, incredible job doing that. And it really, I think, grounds the whole show uh, mm -hmm. is the music because it brings you into those scenes like right away, you know? Yeah. And because we're dealing with craziness of like Chinese mythology in heaven and then this high school hallway, right? It's like two totally different worlds, but the music is what dr dr combines it all together, brings it all together. I think it was brilliant. It was brilliant work yeah. that she did. Yeah, she's, she really is incredible. I, I think her work is so unexpected, but also so fitting, you know, mm -hmm. and, and to find that balance between um, something that really works, but you weren't expecting it to work, I think it, it is a mark of genius. Mm -hmm. I also think, like, the, the team identified some really amazing bands, like the, yes. um, the I, outro. Yes, I was shazamming yeah. some, some songs. Yeah, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the <laughs> outro of the first episode is by a Taiwanese band named I Mean Us. And, uh, mm -hmm. and if you just listen to all of their stuff, they're, they're incredible. Yeah. They're an incredible band. Okay, karaoke song, we got to rap, but what was it? Danny? Sinatra, My Way. Oh, wow. classic. Wow. I don't really have a karaoke song. I Written sing. by Paul Anka, but yeah. sung by. Okay, well, you <laughs> beatbox, though, like, uh, Gene. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all for I do. our next that's interview. Our yeah. next interview, right? Yeah. And we're hoping for a season two. We're putting it out there. So, so you rude. can't just leave us hanging like this. So, um, 
Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Again, we've been sitting down with graphic novelist and executive producer Jean Wen Yang and one of the stars of the show, Daniel Wu, American-born Chinese, streaming on Disney Plus right now. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having, having us. us. This was fun. Thanks for joining us on today's show. You can find more information about this episode in our show notes. If you're missing us, you can visit us at bitchtalkpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter and buy us a cup of coffee. Did you know we're also on the radio? You can find us at bff.fm. And lastly, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All the cool bitches are doing it. This podcast is a proud member of the bff.fm podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. bff.fm, best frequencies forever.